Did you know the team at Girlboss puts out a newsletter every single morning? Hey, it's Victoria, Girlboss's senior writer. And believe me when I tell you, it's the one email you'll actually look forward to receiving. Our content team brings you deep dives and hot takes on trending work topics like radical pay transparency, job title inflation, and how no one can afford to have a midlife crisis these days. Plus, there's free coffee every Friday. Sign up by heading to girlboss.com newsletter. That's girlboss.com newsletter. And we are back. This is season two of Girlboss Radio, and I'm your host, Avery. I'm the founder and CEO of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy on a mission to build work that works for everyone. After a successful first season and 350,000 downloads later, I am so excited to share more conversations featuring some of the most impressive women with you. Today, I'm joined by two good friends, Shav Haswell McIntosh and Dr. Sarah Saska. Shav is the Director of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion at Wellsimple, and Sarah is a former academic who founded her own DEI consultancy called Feminuity. Both of these women work in the same industry as me. Traditionally, that would make us competitors, but we've chosen a different way. I lean on them for support and advice. I call them late at night when I'm dealing with a work crisis. I do not know what I would do without them. Today, we talk about our childhood dream jobs, the case against job hopping, and finding your own magic sauce. Let's get into it. Okay, so we have never done this before. I'm really excited to have two of my friends joining me on the podcast today. Shav, Sarah, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. I am excited to have this conversation. I feel like we've talked about doing something like this for a long time, and it's really dope that we're here actually doing it. It's like those brunch plans that we always talk about, but it actually came true. I am so happy that you both joined me on Girl Boss Radio today. You've been hugely impactful in my own personal career journey. Gratitude and love to both of you for kicking off season two of Girl Boss Radio. This is a massive milestone for me. I, I cried when they told me they were rehiring me for this. <laughs> I'm really excited because we've had a lot of conversations about work and you tend to be the two folks that I go to when I'm having some challenges or <laughs> in a precarious spot. Being a founder of a company can be a pretty lonely place. I think that in the spirit of International Women's Day and going into Women's History Month, it's really important for us to amplify the importance of women's friendship and collaboration over competition and all those really nice quotey things. But I think that they're so true and so important. First and foremost, Sarah, how did you meet Shav? So this is one of those things where I'm actually going to look to Shav to verify whatever I say. Shav is working at Shopify once upon a time. There was a project that you were working on and you were interested in connecting to talk through it. I think it was some sort of research project. I'm pretty sure if I know myself well, I ghosted for like a month or two. And then we finally connected. I feel like you came to the Shopify office. We had the conversation and I was just like, oh, that's my people's. And it's just been happily ever after. I'll never forget the first time I met Sarah. I hosted an event called Ditto RIP. It was Diversity Inclusion Talks Toronto and you came. You had this massive phone case that looked like a Windex bottle. The Moschino phone case that I wish I could have, but they don't make for the latest models of the iPhone. Bring it back. 
I know exactly what you were wearing too. You're wearing jeans and like a white tee and a leather jacket. And then you had this like funky phone case. Then you handed me your card and I saw like Dr. Sarah Saska. And I was like, I just couldn't pair the two, like doctor and Windex phone case carrier. I'm still stuck on the business card. It was a minute ago, though. I think this predates you and I meeting, Shav. So I think business cards were like kind of double kicking. <laughs> That's actually a very valid point. Sarah would have business cards out of all of us, though. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I think that for folks that are listening in, this is your sign to go to those events and to, to leave the house. <laughs> Put Netflix on pause. And it's so important because like for us, you've been close friends of mine and people that I go to for really, really important and sometimes really challenging business stuff or career stuff. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have either of you in in some of those moments that I've gone to you. I think it shows that it's about quality, not quantity. Like if you don't like networking, it's okay. Just pick your select events, do it once in a while and make your friends. Totally. So I'm curious. I always like to go backwards before we move forward and and kind of talk about present day stuff. I want to know like what you wanted to be when you grew up. Because you're both incredibly impressive, have built really, really incredible careers, and you both inspire me on a daily basis in the work that I do. So let's start with you, Shab. Okay, I had two very divergent paths, so bear with me. First one, very traditional. I grew up in like the suburb of all suburbs, and all of my friends around me were becoming teachers. And I think I didn't have really clarity about the path forward. And so I was just like, I'm going to be a high school teacher. I'm going to be like one of those really cool high school teachers. So that was one path. And then the second path was I wanted to be a forensic scientist or a forensic investigator. I grew up watching X-Files and Criminal Minds, all those very dark shows about like death. And I was just like, this is the path for me. Neither of those came true. Not even close. That is so interesting. Sarah, I'm curious what you wanted to be when you grew up. So I really wanted to be a human rights lawyer. I lost my dad when I was super young, about six years old, and that was his pathway. So for me, you sort of emulate the parent. And I think somewhere along the line, I actually realized functionally what lawyers do. And I realized like, I didn't want to do that on a day to day. So I tried to find something that would get me to the same sort of outcome or sort of impact. Do you feel happy with where you've ended up? I feel extremely happy. Something that Sarah said that really resonated with me is that you kind of like look up and serve your parents or that you respect and you try and like emulate them somehow. People, and if it's unconsciously, my mom is like the light of my life and she is a community builder. She's always been a community builder and I get to community build in a really interesting way within a corporate setting and through my business as well, consulting in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. And I'm happy every day. There's challenging days. Like Avery, we were saying it's been a week, (laughs) but at the end of the day, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing and there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Overall, if I'm to look at, say, the last eight years and like the entrepreneurial sort of founder path, I'm definitely glad I chose it. And overall, I'm happy with it because, you know, the running joke for me is that I am fully unemployable. And I actually think that's going to remain true until my last sort of working day, but it doesn't mean it's not easy. And it doesn't mean it's not without its complexities. And I think it's part of the reason we're having these conversations, right? It's only possible with the help of my support, which is predominantly women. I'm like curious, Avery, what did you want to be when you grew up? 
I've heard you talk about like radio and television arts a little bit in the past, but. (laughs) I went to school for broadcasting television and I wanted to be in broadcasting, but then realized that there's a lot of technical things you had to learn about prior to actually doing it. So I remember being in school and learning about how like your ear works. And I was like, I don't care about the nuance of that. But yeah, my dream when I was growing up, I always wanted to be an interior designer. I grew up watching design shows with my mom. It couldn't be further from what I'm doing. Like what I'm doing is inherently creative. I think that where I get to tap into my creative side is through entrepreneurship and, and, and really kind of building and, and scaling Bloom and all the fun things we get to do from a marketing perspective. Like that to me is like where I really can shine. But I don't know if I would be a great interior designer because I think that owning my own business now and dealing with clients, it's not that I'm not connected to the work that I'm doing, but I think that being creative is a really personal thing. I think the one thing I like about being an entrepreneur is that you can make your vision come to life. And it's one of the most fulfilling things to have an idea and then see it come to fruition. So maybe that could be my second life down the road. I can say personally, having been in the homes of some Francis women, that there are A, good genes and B, like major eye for design. Sarah has been to my family cottage before and has like met my parents. I met Mama and Papa Francis under different circumstances. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You mean you didn't run through their front door and knock it to the ground? (laughs) I thought about it, but I was like, this has already been done. Basically, it was Avery's birthday and I realized I left her gift in my car. And I got excited. It was the Bell Hooks All About Love book. And so I beelined it out of their cottage to my car and there was a screen door. I just didn't see it. And I just ran through it. Clean through it. It was impressive, actually. You really committed to it. Like as soon as you felt that barrier, it didn't stop you. You just kept going. (laughs) And your dad allowed me to believe that I had broken the door in its entirety for like a good five minutes. My dad was like, she's a doctor. (laughs) It's like he had been waiting the entire time to say that to you. (laughs) In true Francis spirit, that's what we do. Did you share with the audience, Shav, what are you currently doing and what got you to the role that you're in right now? Currently, I'm the director of diversity, equity, inclusion at Well Simple. Again, I want to be a teacher, went to school for that. Unfortunately, didn't work out for me in the formal education system. But something that my dad taught me since I was really young was what are the things that you possess? What's your magic sauce that nobody else has? And so after I dropped out, I had just like little part-time jobs, worked at the bank, worked at a salon. And something that I felt really strongly about was that I could tap into people, build connections and build community. I didn't have that language at that time, but I was just like, what's a job that I can get that can like really hone in on those skills And so I started off my formal career being an office manager for an energy drink company. I was there for 10 years. I did a lot of like lateral career moves. And my final career move was into human resources. And when I moved into human resources, I started to like really lean into employee engagement and onboarding and like figuring out what do people need to be happy at work and trying to like deliver that to them through programs. That kind of really kickstarted my career into culture, corporate culture, which is this ambiguous term that we hear a lot in tech. I moved into Shopify and I started to focus in on corporate culture. So really, really specializing in 
building relationships with people to figure out what they needed to be successful in the organization. And again, building programs and a team around that body of work. I was at Shopify for six and a half years. So yes, a very long tenured career. I picked that up from my immigrant parents. They were just like, when you start a job, you stay at that job forever. And so I really took that to heart. Red Bull 10 years, Shopify six and a half years. And after Shopify, I had some experiences there where I think I really felt like the corporate burn, like the corporate tension that existed between my values as a human and corporate values. And it just came to a crescendo moment where I was just like, I actually can't do this another day. This is like too far from who I am as a human. And I was ready to just go full-time into consulting and run my consultancy. Shout out to Sarah for giving me my first client. And I realized at that moment that I wasn't quite ready to go out on my own. I think at that point, I was really good friends with you, Avery and Sarah. And I saw some of the struggles that you were moving through. And I was just like, I know that I don't have the capacity to like do that. So let me give myself one more chance to work for a company that I really believe in. And that's very mission driven. And I found well simple. And I've been there for about one and a half years extraordinarily happy. But again, like the the move into diversity, equity, inclusion stemmed from culture. When I was working at culture or on culture at Shopify, I was like, why is diversity, equity, inclusion all the way over there and culture all the way over here? Again, it's my life's work. I'm excited every day. I love dismantling systems of oppression. I love causing good trouble. Like literally every day I wake up, I'm just like, what good trouble can I cause today? What system needs to be smashed? It was all through just like following my gut, my intuition, and really not wavering on my values and, and like really honing in on that special sauce. How can I really double down on that and make it work for me? That's incredible. So you spent 16 years between two companies, which is like unheard of for people that are around our age, which is like wild. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you today, because I think that there's so much noise, specifically on TikTok, around how you have to jump from one company to the other every two years and how you have to like shake up your career to make more money. It's like this one dimensional piece of advice that lacks so much nuance. And I mean, there's a lot of growth that can happen within one organization. And this isn't to say that people should stay in organizations that aren't supporting their growth or that are toxic, et cetera, et cetera. But there are people like you that have had really robust and successful careers that have spent the time and invested the time. And I'm, I mean, I'm curious to kind of hear what your thoughts are before we get into Sarah's career journey. But do you think that you would have grown as much as you have and evolved as much as you have in your career if you had switch jobs every two years? For me, again, it's really important for me to build relationships and trust with the people I work with. And for me, that takes a little bit of time. But what happens when you invest in those relationships is that people invest back in you. I've had amazing sponsors in my career, but I had to give those relationships time to manifest. And if I had moved from role to role, from company to company, I wouldn't have been able to kind of get there. I wouldn't have been able to built those relationships. And I made sure that I had that honest conversation with myself every year to be like, does this company align with my values? And it's, if it did, I was down to ride. I wrote out hard times. There was like definitely dark times. I've worked through some like economic downturns, but it's really personal. But I think like this narrative of like, you have to move to make more money isn't entirely true. It has been through my career, I've seen that at Shopify, 
from where I started financially to where I ended up, wild. I wouldn't have been able to get there moving around. Absolutely. And I think that obviously Shopify is a is a unique case because this is an organization that IPO'd, <laughs> went public. I know a lot of folks that became overnight millionaires with that. I don't know if that was your situation. She's like kind of shaking her head. <laughs> no, it, it, it wasn't. It's a whole other conversation. But like, I didn't know the art of like negotiation. And I didn't have that financial literacy at the time to know how to set myself up like that. And so I, I missed that boat. But still, I got a lot from being at that company, learned a lot. And I'm not complaining. Are you a recruiter, manager, or HR pro looking for your next great hire? Head to the Girlboss Job Board to post your open role. Girlboss Jobs highlights the hottest listings in marketing, cannabis, tech, finance, social media, and more for our community of over 2 million ambitious women. We're kind of like career matchmakers. Head to jobs.girlboss.com. That's jobs.girlboss.com to post and promote your job today. You're listening to my chat with two good friends, Shav and Sarah. Let's get back into it. Sarah, as an entrepreneur, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your career journey. About 20 years ago, first starting undergrad, I actually started for vocal music because I'm a classically trained singer, but within two weeks realized I need to like learn something practical for the world, big pivot. So I started studying gender studies and business. And that was 20 years ago. And it was that moment in time where people were like, what are you doing? These don't make sense. These don't go together. And, you know, the academic like administration office within the university didn't know what to do with me. I was that weirdo sitting across these seemingly desperate focused areas. And I just continued to sit between sort of gender studies, equity studies, social science and, and business and innovation and technology. And that stayed true all the way through my PhD where I was in gender studies, but looking at technological studies and innovation studies. And I quickly started doing a lot of different case studies. And I realized that like these different academic realms just weren't talking. So like the field of innovation studies said it was gender blind or gender neutral as an example. And I did a, a big case study in the automotive industry that showed that when someone who is pregnant gets into a car crash, there's a really high likelihood that they'll lose the fetus. And if you unpack the reason why, it's simply because they were using male-bodied crash test dummies as the default or the norm. So an 180-pound male body was how they were testing for safety in the automotive industry. And then I looked at Tesla at the time that was considered the disruptor, the innovator. And guess what? They were using the same antiquated practice from the auto industry, even though they were so progressive. So I was like, there's something to this. Why are we not bringing these really obvious lenses to the design of new technology and innovation? And it was just one of those moments where I was like, this is so obvious. So I realized that in the middle of my PhD, I needed to translate my research into practice, but I didn't have the entrepreneurial skill set or tool kit that I needed. So I actually had to take a pause. I became sort of the black sheep, if you will, of my, my PhD department at the time, because you don't take pauses from PhDs. You write academic papers and you go to conferences. And I was doing none of that. And I went to Mars Discovery District, right? One of the largest innovation hubs in Canada. And I 
spent about a year there as an innovation fellow. And I actually learned the skill sets I needed to launch the business. I learned how to translate my wildly verbose research into something simple, into snackable, translatable, sellable pieces of consulting product. And that was about eight years ago. And so at the time, people were like, what? What's bias in AI? Like they were like, what are you talking about, you weird woman? And then just yesterday, there's a giant lawsuit, right, with Workday and, you know, showing that there's some likely some deep concerns, right, around discrimination in their recruitment AI systems for people who are of advanced age or who live with disability or who are racialized and so forth. So it's one of those sort of full circle moments, right? Something I was talking about over a decade ago and saying, hey, we need to care about this and bring these lenses. It's it's now become dinner table talk in that way. I also had no clue that you were like a trained singer. We yet to sing a tune together (laughs) is the question. For you, Sarah, what inspired you to become a founder? Because an entrepreneurial journey is a pretty challenging one. I think it's like a blend of being wildly naive, like I just really not knowing what it would take and what the journey could ever look like. And also because at the time, there was just no one was doing what it felt needed to be done, right? No one was really bringing these intentional sort of equity-focused lenses to the tech and innovation conversation. The thing just didn't exist, so I had to make it. Being in a PhD program, being a grad student at the time, I don't know if this is still the language people use, but like I didn't have the, like the golden handcuffs, right? Like I was very much on a grad student budget. So I had already learned to be really savvy with money. I was investing in stocks. I actually was in that Shopify game. I made some money that way through trading. And so I I just wasn't already hooked on like that big corporate salary. So I didn't even know differently or better. And so for me, I was like, let's continue this grad school pathway, continue to be scrappy. It was a kind of a natural progression into the sort of entrepreneurial founder hat for me. Yeah. So all three of us in our own ways work in the DEI space. And I know that there's obviously a lot of buzz around that career path. It's hard work, right? For me, what makes it difficult doing this in a corporate setting, it's really difficult to uncouple the work that I do from who I am. I am like a Black woman who does not have any formal education. And so I am personally tied to the outcome. And if the outcome doesn't come into fruition in a corporate setting, people who look like me in that company are going to be impacted negatively. And so am I. And so it's really difficult to kind of toe that balance between like advocacy and being able to also like honor and respect my role. I'm in a leadership role and these organizations have been doing this and like not being able to actually come and say what I want to say you know, honestly and truly and transparently. I can't do that in a corporate setting because I still am employed by the company. And so that tension that exists between who I am and what I really want to say and how I need to show up as a leader in the organization makes it extremely difficult for me. And it's very taxing over time. But I know that if I don't do this work, I have like a 18-year-old sister, like who's going to make the corporate setting or the world a better place for her and that entire generation of people. And so I persist. Yeah, I I definitely feel that. Sarah, what are your thoughts on this from a founder's perspective of an organization that's consulting with companies like Shavs? It's interesting to hear 
from Shav's perspective as being the operator and the change maker internally. I love being external because it means that we can say and do things differently without fear of being fired. Not that I think Shav has that fear, but I just think it's a different positionality. It's easier to say the things when you're external and it's easier to push in different ways and sort of leverage different levers within an organization. At the end of the day, I view this work as this is social justice work trying to untangle and dismantle capitalist business systems. By definition, it's an intractable, indelible problem. So it's more just how can we make the user experience, i.e. humans who work in the organizations, just a little bit better each day. And then, of course, you know, the products and the services, like the things they offer to the world, how can we make those better too? But ultimately, it's an incremental game for me. I'm curious, Shav, do you believe that you're successful? I do. It took me a long time to get to the point where I can say that confidently. And as I'm like running towards 40 this year, I've had a whole evolution as a human being. But I do because I feel like, and I don't know if this is the question you want me to answer, but the way I've redefined success is the freedom to just be, the freedom to be who I am authentically in all of the environments and spaces that I occupy. And I very much feel that, whether it's at work, whether it's with my romantic relationships, with my friends, with my family. And so I feel like, yes, successful in the traditional sense of looking at my career and where I've grown to and the skills that I've kind of developed over time, but really feeling successful because I feel that intrinsic freedom to just be me in every space. Okay, Sarah, I'm curious, like, what's your definition of success? And do you believe that you are at that point? Sort of similar to Shav. We talk a lot about authenticity in the workplace and how people can show up and sort of add some air quotes or some eye rolls as I say that maybe. But I think for me, it's about being able to be the same person in the workplace with my team, with the work that we do to our client work, to like when I'm going to bed at night, to when I'm out with my girlfriends on the weekend so that there really just is one unified me. I think I've definitely been at stages in life where there's been a fracture between work me, personal me and so forth. I still get stuck on the success piece. Maybe this is the academic in me. Selling my time, my labor for money in a capitalist system is tricky still trying to kind of reconcile all of that. So I'm still kind of dealing with the tension of what it looks like to find ways to participate in a capitalist system in a way that doesn't inherently requiring selling my time for money and finding other models around that. <laughs> you know, those, I think that's what keeps me up at night right now. It sucks because I mean, the reality is I feel like my time and energy is priceless. It's the only thing that you can't necessarily make up or get back. Bloom is a for-profit business, so I'm actively participating in it. It's challenging. And I mean that also when you're leading a company that trickles down to how you value your team's time, which to me, it's invaluable, right? But then those nuanced things where I'm like, damn, when I have to chase down a client to pay an invoice and I'm having to craft an email and it's taking me two hours to get it, like that's the kind of stuff that gets under my skin. And that's when I feel I'm not successful at all. I'm so far from that because the most successful version of me wouldn't be doing this type of stuff right now. And I wouldn't be wasting my energy on these things. What you both said really resonated. And I think that what we've talked about, a common theme through this conversation has been like, it is difficult, right? 
you are the two people that I go to when I'm having challenging stuff. And I think that as we kind of lead to the end of this conversation, I wanted to just ask you about your thoughts on the importance of having coworkers that don't work with you, you know, and I I had a conversation with someone else that's going to be on this podcast and she actually framed it as her admiration club. And she actually referred to some peers in her industry as her coworkers, which I thought was really interesting. So it's like, you're not really coworkers, but in a sense, when we're all working on the same problem, we are. I'm curious to hear from you, Sarah, like how impactful has it been for you to have people that don't work with you that can be like a sounding board for you or or a source of support when it comes to like some of those tough founder and entrepreneurial moments. It's just totally invaluable. Like I, I can think of times when we chatted late night where my question to you will be like, is this normal? Like, do you go through this? Because there's, there's a really unique role, like being a founder, right? Like you, you're supporting your team, you're supporting your clients, but you're also trying to lead and also being able to just talk about the really gray, sticky stuff that just feels like you can't take it anywhere else. And how about you, Shav? For me, community over everything. I have a core set of friends that are not in the DEI space who just like help ground me as a human being, which allows me to be able to show up professionally in ways that I wouldn't be able to if I didn't have them. And then I have friends like you and Sarah, who it is a very lonely career path at times. I'm like the only employee who focuses on this work currently. And you just feel alone and you feel like gaslit sometimes. And you just need to be able to like reach out to somebody to be able to like say, is this just me? Am I like making this up? What's going on? But I think something that I also really appreciate about all of my friendships, my friendships with you both as well, is that we also talk about real life. We talk about our romantic relationships. It's not just like this professional relationship where we just talk about work. We can talk about all the things. And that is so invaluable to like us as humans to be able to have those spaces where we can feel safe and talk about things uh, work and otherwise. We had already talked about earlier, like how we all met. We met pre-pandemic. We met in a time where events were a thing, common thing that were happening. I think much easier to build community then than it is now. But for folks that are listening, like how do you think that they can find their pals that they can talk about the work stuff with and also get really great support from them as it relates to their careers, but then obviously talk about the fun stuff too? I don't want to be that person that's going to give like a woo-woo answer, but I've always found that I've fostered the deepest friendships when I've known myself the most, when I've understood who I am and what I need and what I'm looking for from my community and then going out and finding those spaces. And like, it's difficult to make friends as an adult, but it's just about like being brave and being bold and like reaching out and searching it. Out, you know, sometimes it can come passive, but I think that you've got to like really go out and look for it and make that effort. It just makes me think about women in competition to serve patriarchal systems. It's like the women who work well for me as friends were the ones who processed that stuff, right? We've got beyond the the catty BS, right? We've actually learned what it looks like to show up and serve as as friends to other women. And I think that's a big growing learning journey that a a lot of women still have to go through. I think that I've 
attracted some of the best friends to me when I've just like really stood firmly in who I am as a person. And I've been unapologetic about it and really bold about it. And I think that this is one of the reasons why I want to have this conversation is I want to encourage people to know that a lot of good can come from doing the work to Sarah's point and to Shav's point, really understanding who it is that you are. But then for me, I think that final piece is like actually sharing that with people. And I think that this is something that I try to practice is like being like loudly and radically transparent. And I think that it may, (laughs) it might come off as like self-serving, but I've attracted like some of the most amazing friendships through really kind of just going out and sharing my story. Also another, like a kind of a piece of advice that I'd share, create a list of five people that you admire that inspire you and make a goal to reach out to those five people in some way. Maybe it's an email, maybe it's on LinkedIn, maybe it's a DM to let them know that you want to build a relationship with them. This is a tactic I learned from a book that I read back when I was traveling through New Zealand in 2010, written by Reid Hoffman of all people, who's the founder and CEO at LinkedIn. It was a great book. I don't know how I feel about him entirely as a leader. And I hate spending so much money on LinkedIn every year, trust me. But that was a tactic that he had given in that book. And I actually did it. And it translated to a lot of really positive relationships for me that I still have to this day. So that's my one tactical thing that I would recommend that people do. Sarah, I'm curious what recommendation you would make. Well, when I think of one of my best friends, Selena, she puts milestones. Like she put the anniversary of femininity in her calendar. She has the anniversary of my dad's death in her calendar. Like she knows my dog's birthday. It's in her calendar. And it's like, she messages me for all those different, the good, the bad, the weird, everything in between. And it's just, it's those tiny messages of people who are your friends out there, just who know more than just your, your work life, right. Who know you in in your entirety and go out of the way to to send those notes. I love that. That's great advice and something that I'm going to be taking with me. (laughs) That's something I'm not good at that I really should get better at. I love that. Shav, how about you? Be vulnerable and open. It can be really, really scary to do, but the more that you can show up openly and vulnerably, the better friendships that you're going to attract, the more meaningful friendships you're going to attract. And so like, that would be my advice. If you find that you're in situations where you're forming friendships and you have to be an edited version of yourself, that might not be the friendship or the type of friendship you're actually looking for. So just like, do you be you? I love that. I wanted to go through this new little part of our podcast where we go through in and out. So very quickly, cover letters, in or out. Out. Who's asking for cover letters? And then the next one is Slack. Out. The cognitive load and capacity that tool takes up. I think it's it's past its prime. Mega out. The dings literally haunt me in my dreams. We do not use it and we will never use it. Hear that. Post-interview thank you notes. And I was raised to always be thankful and gracious. I think uh, my old school values, they still apply. But like send it only if you mean it. Make it genuine. Five day work week. Out. Oh my God. We've seen the studies. Let's get to that four day. This is a whole topic to unpack, but five day work week out. But it doesn't work for remote models where people work across time zones. So we need to keep iterating on it. Thirsty Thursdays, which is like after work drinks. Out? Out. Lose culture. We're over it. 
Okay. And last one, working in office. That is out. We have to be flexible when it comes to working arrangements and allow people to do what makes sense for them. People want to go in the office. Awesome. People don't want to go. Awesome. Don't mandate people back to the office. That's so out. That's so 2000 and late. There's still a lot of industries that require it, frontline workers and, you know, thank goodness to the people who who show up who need to be there. So, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us today. And I know that listeners probably taken a lot of value from this conversation. So with that, I'm going to wish you both a great day. Thank you so much for having us. Gratitude and all the love. And that's a wrap on the debut episode of Girlboss Radio. We've got so many incredible guests booked for season two. We're going to be covering making money on OnlyFans, speaking with a very famous interior designer and idol of mine, and talking about what it's like to publicly break up with your co-founder. And that's just a preview. As always, this podcast is produced by Liz Guber and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.